Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and I'm here with Glossy's international fashion reporter, Zofia Zviglinska. Uh, Zofia, are you back in London right now? Yep, I'm back in London. Um, I went to Paris for one day for Fashion Week, and I am back now. Were you in Milan at all, or just you covered Milan from afar and you covered Paris in person? Yeah, it was one day briefing from Paris um, and then Milan from afar. Got it. Must be nice to be able to just pop over to Paris. I'm very jealous. Eurostar has its blessing, um, many, many <laughs> blessings. Although the Monday one was very packed um, and it does oh, require I'm sure. you to get up really early. So, Was it expensive? I'm sorry, we don't have to do the whole episode about this, but I'm just curious. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I think it's more comfortable um, and definitely like it makes more sense rather than going all the way to Heathrow and flying. But I think it's a little bit more expensive. It kind of depends what flights you get. Yeah. So next week, we're going to talk more about Paris Fashion Week, which again, I know you just came back from. But this week, we're going to talk a little bit about Milan Fashion Week, which again, neither of us were there. I think this is the one week of the month that we had no glossy in-person presence at. But we we both talked to people and um, kept up with the shows and stuff. So we're going to talk about what what went down at Milan Fashion Week, some of the, the things we saw there. Uh, and then we're also going to save a little bit of time to talk about Daniel Lee taking over at Burberry. Um, and that will be our episode for the day. So let's talk about Milan. Um, okay, so we've already talked about New York Fashion Week on this podcast. We've also we've talked about London Fashion Week on this podcast. Um, where do you think Milan kind of stacks up against those other two? I've I've got some thoughts on how it sort of differs, but just first impressions, Sophia. What 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 did you see that that was different or notable from London and New York? Yeah, so I mean, I think that for most of the fashion weeks this season, you know, it's a real kind of celebration of location. So you know, for New York, it was celebrating kind of American designers, and for London, even in spite of the news, it was about you know celebrating the kind of youth and um, designer presence in the capital. And I think for Milan, in many ways, it's the same. You know, you're talking about some of the oldest um, houses for fashion in the world, uh, and I think that they really wanted to kind of bring about the brand identity and celebrate that and put on these massive kind of like scale performances to include um you know in their fashion shows so i think there was a lot of like celebration at, um, in milan yeah for sure and and like i know like i often in many other areas i think of london as being like a very old traditional city and you know it's like a thousand years old or whatever but for fashion i felt like london fashion week was a lot more um newer designers, younger, exciting, up-and-coming people. Mm. Not that there wasn't that in Milan, but it definitely felt like a, Milan was a lot of, like, the big houses that have been around for, like, 100 years or something. Um, definitely was more fun-seeming than London, just because there was no recent, like, notable public figure dying in Milan. Um <laughs> So one thing that I saw, like definitely was not a somber mood the way maybe London was. The parties were not canceled. And one thing I saw that I wanted to ask you about was um, at the Moschino show, they kind of had a lot of the clothes had inflatable pieces sort of like um, incorporated into it. So like the lapel of a jacket was actually like an inflatable, almost like a pool, like mm, swimming yeah, tube thing. Um, and I think the joke was like on inflation, you know, and like <laughs> inflatable. Uh, there was the Diesel show had these big inflatable dolls, which also I think was supposed to be a, a joke about inflation. And at first I was like, I think that's really funny. You know, that's like a fun, lighthearted way to kind of reference what's going on. There was a, a New York Times article that I thought 
raised an interesting question, which is sort of like, is that tasteless? Because like, <laughs> it's kind of a big deal for a lot of people. I don't want to be like a no fun allowed person, but I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, it, it, it kind of is like sort of a, a, a glib way to like, you know, reference this thing that's actually kind of really hard for a lot of yeah. people around the world. I, but I also am like, I don't want all Fashion Week to be like no fun. Everything has to be serious and like funerary. Mm-hmm. Um, what What are your thoughts though? Did Did you Did you think about that when you saw the Moschino thing, or did it purely come off as just like fun and lighthearted? I mean, I think it's it's again about kind of like instilling the the culture of whichever like show location you're talking about. And I think the Italians, the Milanese, they have this kind of like edge, which you know, it's, it does poke fun at things. Like there's more of an interesting kind of like funny approach towards fashion and, you know, the overload of like glitz and glamour and, you know, like even designers like Dolce, like, you know, and Versace, like it's all about kind of excess and seeing that, um, as, you know, this inherently Italian thing. And I think that it's also, you know, in, in some way it's about an excess of, you know, fun, um, at, at Moschino and at Diesel as well. And I think that that's something that they're just both all including, you know, from like a business end, I'm sure that they're very focused on what they're doing within the brand, but the runway is, you know, a performance it's, and, and I think that that was especially evident in Milan. Like most of the other shows were kind of about performance. Like you had Montclair who had like 1,952 extras in front of the Piazza del Duomo in front of the Milan Cathedral. Um, Everyone was wearing white coats. There was like singing and dancing. I think there was confetti at one point. Um, Like it really did get very um, big. And I think that that's just part of, you know, Milan and its appeal, I I guess. I think that Paris is probably more serious. London's more young. Um, And yeah, Milan is, it can be anyway, very, very fun. And I think that even with the kind of somber economic mood around the world it can still be a nice escape you know escapism was also quite a big feature at all of the fashion weeks that that's something that you know brands are kind of looking for their customers to have a little bit of that too yeah i think you're right i think i think ultimately it was fun to me um i do think uh it's something to be a little bit careful about maybe if you're if you're mm. doing a show and you want to like make a joke about uh something especially Given like, you know, if you're the designer of Moschino, you are probably not that heavily impacted by inflation. You know, it's a little bit like when people say, oh, I use humor to like deal with difficult things. Like it's one thing to use humor to deal with something that's affecting you and another thing to like make a joke about something that's affecting somebody else. Um, Again, that's not necessarily how I feel, but just a thought uh, about doing stuff like that. I feel like it could, there's a version of that I think that could have been maybe even less tasteful and and more kind of like um but I don't think it was ultimately I I still think it was was fun um but see, speaking of sort of like extravagance and stuff you had a really interesting story about invitations and and the physical invitations that the brands are sending out can you tell me more about that because I thought that was so interesting yeah of course I mean I, I love the kind of culture of invitations like a lot of brands put a lot of effort into making these like very uh, cute or whimsical, interesting kind of aspects of their brands through this, you know, one-off thing. Um, and I think, you know, Jack Famous in the past has given off um, bread, 
like literal loaves mm. of bread as part of their invitations. And this season in Milan, um, there was, <clears throat> I don't know how much I can say, but specific kinds of toys <laughs> at Diesel um, <laughs> and matchboxes at Valentino and hourglasses at Ferragamo who announced their new kind of like brand direction. And the hourglasses were had red sand in them, which then featured on the floor um, of the show there was a lot of sand to be honest in all of the catwalks um, but I think the actual kind of invitations aspect is really interesting like you know you're talking about something which is meant to be interesting for the person that receives it sometimes useful as well I talked to a couple of um, experts being um, who had received quite a few of these invitations in the past and a lot of them said that you know it's good if designers and brands send something that people can actually use um and even more so if that you know has a kind of like fun edge to it something that makes it memorable and you know even more so now i think that a lot of people are putting these things up on social media so it's a way for you know to get basically free advertising for the show if someone sends something that you know people can kind of show off on social media in a video or have to unpack in some interesting way and something pops out or maybe it's something whimsical um so I think that that was really fun um and I think that we're going to see a lot more of that you know from brands especially with those brands who are kind of looking to make these show invites almost like collectibles from the brand because it's a very specific kind of membership if you're talking about it you know everyone who attends these shows is like the creme de la creme of fashion so it's you know it's almost like an entryway into an unofficial members club yeah, definitely. And your your point about them posting it on social media too, it kind of reminds me of like a couple of years ago, I felt like there was this trend of um, making like an Instagram wall in your place of business, whether it's like a bar or something, just like something that encourages people to take a picture with it because then they'll post about it. And I feel like if you are somebody who gets one of those very fancy invites from like Prada or something, you like I, I admire the person with the strength not to immediately post it on Instagram. If I got an invitation <laughs> from Prada that was like that, I would post it immediately. Um, and particularly if the invitation itself is interesting and not just a piece of paper, but I, even if it was, I feel like it's still tempting um, just to sort of show that like, look, I got invited. Uh, so yeah, I think there's a, a, a lot of value there. Um, speaking of Prada, they were the ones who worked with um, Nicholas Winding Refn, the film director. I, I personally, I'm a big fan of. Um, did, did they have like a, did he, did they have an invite that sent out too, or did he just work with them on the show itself? No, no. So they worked with him as well on the invite and the invite itself was like this black box with this, I think it was like a silver grating and it kind of looked like one of those old, like, um, cigarette lighter things that you'd have in cars mm. and you could look through it and I think it was the the motto for the show I can't remember something to do with crude um but basically you could look through that little hole and you could see the the motto for the show I think that it might have been a little bit more fun to make it more interactive but it does have that kind of artsy minimalist appeal that Prado was um putting out on the catwalk this season so I think it worked pretty well with the collaboration as well I I do wonder what's the shelf life of those things? Like the people who got some of these <laughs> invites, like do you put them on the shelf or like, do you just throw it away after like, you know what I mean? That yeah. box thing is if I was thinking my apartment does not have a ton of spare space for mm. stuff. If I got one of those invites, it would be like very cool in the moment. And then I'd be like, okay, now I have to do something with this. Now I'm responsible <laughs> for this invitation. Um, 
So I'm I'm sure uh, some of those brands have thought about this, and I'm sure there's some that are like it's biodegradable and like compostable or whatever. I'm sure that's mm-hmm. that's part of it too. But it seems like a good amount of them. It's like what's the plan for where this invite is going to go? Yeah, and honestly, I think that's a really good way for brands to think about it. Like these things should either have longevity or they should be basically like recyclable after whatever one use or social media post or whatever. Like it's not about. Um, you know, creating these things that are going to just clog up people's spaces. Um, I think Emma Davidson, who I talked to about the um, diesel invite, said that that is probably something that she would keep just because it's glass, it's pretty, um, it kind of could function as, you know, like a paperweight, I guess. Um, And it makes an interesting kind of conversation starter. So I think that that was that. There was a pair of pajamas that she mentioned from Prada from a couple of seasons ago that she also kept. So again, you're talking about function. Um, So I think that brands should just be looking at that kind of functionality, either as an art object or either as something that people can actually wear or use um, for future pieces. And I think there's some really interesting ones from Paris as well, but I'll keep my lips sealed for those. (laughs) Well, here's a free idea for any brands listening to this. I've gotten like birthday cards and stuff that are made of a compostable paper and it has like seeds in the paper so you oh, like bury those. you bury the card and the it like grows into a plant or something i feel like if you've got any sort of like sustainable kind of brand i feel like that would be a perfect thing to do for the invites yeah. no idea how if those are expensive or what but i have gotten them before and i think that's a very cool way to do it um and speaking of perfect segue last thing i wanted to talk about from milan was i noticed um maybe not overwhelmingly, but a good amount of like sustainable kind of themed collections or just stuff that various brands did behind the scenes. Um, There was a designer, Lisa Von Tang, who like all of the partners that she worked with for this collection, like all had to be, uh, have various like green certifications. I forget which ones, but you know, like approved by like the the organization for like better cotton or something like that. there was a brand called Tem Temwa Temwa I'm not sure. Um, that made all of their clothes for their collection out of raffia, which is this like very sustainable fiber that grows in Madagascar, and like all of the proceeds like went back to the community of Madagascar where that plant is from. It seemed like there was a good amount of that kind of stuff. I, I don't know if I could say if it was more or less than some of the other fashion weeks, but it, it, there was a healthy presence, I would say, of sustainability on the runway. Um, in Milan. Did you notice anything like that? Yeah, I think that, you know, there are still some um, designers who are doing sustainable collections in Milan. I'm not going to lie. I think majority of them, um, especially the big brands, didn't. I think there was the collection from Bottega, which was literally made of leather the whole way through, even like uh, jeans and things that literally looked like jeans were made of leather. And I was thinking about, you know, what the implications of that would be for like the kind of trickle down style things that go on in fashion um, and how that would affect, you know, leather use and production and, you know, all of those nasty kind of cycles that fashion does unfortunately kind of affect. Um, So I'm not sure about the kind of sustainability aspects. I wasn't super impressed by like the number of things that came out, but I also did see that, you know, the Green Carpet Awards were in Milan this season. And I think there was some really notable um, awardees there. So it might just be a case of like looking in different places and looking again at kind of younger designers or smaller brands who might be doing something more impactful, like you said. Um, And I'm wondering if maybe more of that should be also 
used by bigger brands um, who, you know, were quite big advocates of sustainability a year ago. And maybe, maybe that has fallen by the wayside in that kind of mood of celebration. Yeah, you're you're right. Now that I'm like looking at my list here, all of the brands that like did interesting sustainability stuff were all kind of on the smaller side. You're you're right. None of the like big, uh, you know, heritage Italian houses, I think, really had much interest there. Um, it's always funny how like sometimes it feels like it comes in waves where everyone's like, we are literally dedicating ourselves entirely to the defense of the planet. And then the next season they're like, oh yeah, we kind of forgot about that. That's kind of out this season or something. Um just feels like it's sort of sometimes there's more interest than than other times. Um, but let's talk about Daniel Lee. I definitely wanted to make sure we had enough time to talk about this because I thought it was a very interesting story. But um, I'm sure a lot of the people listening uh, are, are somewhat familiar with this. But Daniel Lee worked at Celine um, under Phoebe Philo for for several years and was sort of a uh, an understudy to her. And when she and he both left Celine. He went to Bottega Veneta and um, for three years, uh, starting in 2019, um, I think made Bottega Veneta like a huge, huge player in luxury fashion. They were already obviously popular and established, but um, I think he really kind of like elevated them. And a lot of people who were big Phoebe Philo fans were happy to have a sort of protege of hers out there, like kind of continuing her legacy. So I think a lot of, a lot of, Philo heads like went from Celine to Bottega when she was not designing anywhere until end of last year when he very abruptly just left Bottega, like kind of out of nowhere. Um, we talked about it at the time on this podcast about the sort of mysterious like departure, and there were lots of rumors swirling about, um, all of which were like very vehemently denied by caring. Um, and I won't repeat some of them, but basically just the 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 vibe was that he was maybe not the best boss to work under. Again, totally unconfirmed. Those, these were just the rumors, but there was never any good answer given. He just was out at Bottega very suddenly one day and kind of has been laying low. And then this week resurfaced as the new creative director at Burberry, um, taking over for Ricardo Tisci. Um Anyway, all, all of that is just backstory. I'm very excited to see what he's going to do at Burberry. Um, Sophia, as as a Brit yourself, I feel like Burberry is kind of like the, uh, probably like the biggest like luxury British fashion house and the one I most associate with sort of like very quintessential Britishness. Um, and I, I sort of felt like, and, and there again, there's a New York Times article that mentions this, that like, under Ricardo Tisci, it kind of got a little sort of started to drift towards more of like the standard kind of Italian French style of luxury and maybe lost a little bit of that Britishness. Um, do you do you feel that way? Like I, I saw that kind of like floated around that like, oh, they've got a British designer back at Burberry again. And I'm like, I, I, I was like thinking about it. I was like, I guess Tisci's time at Burberry was like a little bit out of the box for them. Like there was more, I think there was maybe more louder prints and stuff, which maybe you might associate more with like Gucci or Prada or something. Anyway, yeah. I've been talking a lot. What are, what are your thoughts on, <laughs> on the Britishness of Burberry and all that? No, definitely. I mean, I think that, you know, Bailey kind of brought about this very specific type of era for Burberry. And I think that honestly, it's become such a big part of that brand image that's almost been really hard for Tishy to pull away from that. Um, and, you know, the the kind of 
odes to the trench coat, the whole Cara Delevingne um, kind of adverts, like all of that was very intrinsic to like British ideas about, you know, heritage and brands. And I think it's, yeah, it's really hard to kind of step away from that. And I think that's probably why, um, you know, Ricardo had quite a tough job going into uh, Burberry. And, you know, there's been a more of a shift to streetwear and that, you know, has been good and bad in some senses. I think Burberry gained quite a lot of um, customers in Asia as a result. But I'm wondering if, you know, now that this is going back to um, uh, to Daniel Lee, I think that maybe there'll be more of those British aspects mixed in or maybe there'll be more of a focus on kind of local culture. Um, there's been a lot of things that they've been doing on TikTok recently that I thought was very interesting. I'm wondering if they're going to bring in a kind of younger consumer base into the brand or whether they will focus more on like an older consumer, which typically... Like I would say Daniel probably did at Bottega. So I'm wondering if there's going to be like a demographic shift as well um, in the way that he approaches, you know, the brand design and direction. Um, but again, like he's, I don't think he's taken over the same position um, as Ricardo. So I'm wondering if he's going to have as much of a say in how the brand uh, yeah. evolves. Isn't um, he like chief creative officer or something? Yeah. He's got so a slightly different title. Yeah, so I'm wondering kind of what kind of responsibilities fall under that title if they do change or whether that is just, you know, a kind of name because of the yeah. the difficulties that the brand has had under Tishy. And, you know, like mm -hmm. it, you have to say it, like the, the show itself only happened last weekend, I think. Mm -hmm. So it's it, I think it was literally let go of like a couple of days after the show. So it definitely felt yeah. very kind of ominous <laughs> watching and, the and show. And no indication that that show was going to be the last. There was no sort of like sense of farewell or anything. It seems no. like it was just another normal Burberry show. And then he was out a couple of days later. Um, I, I think it's interesting looking at. So, like, just looking at the numbers, um, Burberry sort of had, like, a weird couple of years, as of everybody. But it was, like, last year was their lowest, like, revenue year in, like, a decade. But then this year is, like, already shaping up to be the highest in a decade. So, it's sort of like they're ping-ponging around a little bit. I wonder, I'm sure they're happy about the higher revenues. But I wonder if there's a little bit of, like, wanting some more stability and, and more certainty about it. Um the other thing is, uh, I, I alluded to this earlier, but when Phoebe Philo left Celine, I, um, no, actually this was after, when she announced that she was going to have her own brand with LVMH, I think, um, which I think is still supposed to happen, although it has not like opened yet. I, I interviewed a bunch of different people about Phoebe Philo, and, and one of the things uh, everybody said was that she's had such a loyal following and that she was making this kind of like very understated, elegant kind of stuff that was sort of a little bit hard to find it at other luxury houses. And then when she left Celine, there was sort of this like sense of the people who were really hardcore Philo heads had had nowhere to go. And then Daniel Lee showed up at Bottega and that was like where a lot of them went. I'm wondering if those, those people are going to follow him to Burberry and like if his designs at Burberry will be sort of a continuation of that style and, legacy a little bit, you know, or or if it's just been several years and several brands removed from that original, like Celine, Phoebe Philo, like magic, you know, I, I, I so I could see people, you know, going to him if he's still, but also I feel like there's, there's other options now, you know, especially if 
Phoebe Philo opens her own brand, which I hope mm. will happen soon. I'm very interested <laughs> in that. But no, definitely. Yeah. I think that there's so much that you know Burberry can grow into, and and that maybe haven't that those directions haven't been explored that much. Um, you know, under the kind of previous creative directorship, and that I think it's just something that needs to be explored a little bit more in the coming years. And you're right, though. Um, you know. There's been a kind of lo- loyal following um, at, at Celine before with um, Phoebe Philo, and that kind of group has moved around in fashion. There's, you know, such an interest in understated, kind of quiet luxury um, things that people look to when, you know, especially when it can, comes to quality and in times with, you know, economic turmoil. I guess people are looking also towards basics or like luxury elevated pieces that are kind of very classic. Um, and maybe Daniel Lee will bring in more of those at Burberry instead of kind of going for, you know, hoodies and other things that might have appealed mm-hmm. to a slightly more streetwear consumer. Yeah, you're, you're definitely right about that possible, like, age shift um, among Burberry's customers. And, and, yeah, definitely interested to see what he does there and if there will be another mysterious departure in a couple of years or, or not. <laughs> um, but I think that's all the time we have this week but Sophia thank you so much for for joining us um for those of you listening if you would like to give us a rating and a review either on Apple Podcasts Spotify wherever you're listening to this that really helps us out a lot and you should also subscribe to the Glossy Podcast so you can hear week in review episodes every Friday and also interviews with um cool industry insider people every Wednesday um and that's all if you subscribe so again thank you for listening and Sophia thanks for joining thank you